I worked with somebody for uh, several years who was really good at what he did, which was mostly uh, speaking and writing. Uh, some people would even say he was kind of a big deal. Uh, he'd get asked to speak at all these really big events. And when he would come back, I would usually ask him how it went. And he always responded the same way. He would say, I think I did a really good job. And I thought that was kind of arrogant. My wife and I, we used to imitate the guy. If I preached on a Sunday morning, Deb would say, so how did it go? And I would say, I think I did a really good job. Uh, and my wife would come home from school. I'd say, how'd your day go? And she'd say, I think I did a really good job. And I know, I know, we were mocking the guy, which isn't very nice, but give me a break. I'm not perfect. But here's the thing. Um, my parents taught me that you don't toot your own horn. To say you did a good job would be prideful, boastful, arrogant. I was expected to do everything perfectly, total perfection, no praise. That can sometimes be a problem. Uh, I was expected to do a good job, but I was never really sure if I did it or not. I don't know if anybody else has ever been raised in that kind of a culture, probably. So as my wife and I got into this pattern of joking and saying, I think I did a really good job, over time, we actually grew to being confident enough to say it when we meant it. I've noticed that we're generally attracted to people who have a couple of characteristics, humility and confidence. People who are comfortable in their own skin, people who, who know who they are. They believe that they've got something to offer to others. They get up in the morning and they've got something to give and to do and, and it helps them move through the day confidently, but they do it with, with humility and are respectful of other people around them. They listen well, they learn from other people. Our mission at Orchard is to help next generations to encounter and follow Jesus to bless a broken world. To follow implies that somebody's leading, right? So in this series, and today's the last Sunday of the series, which began a few weeks ago at the gathering, we're looking at what's true of Jesus, our leader, and also what's true of us, his followers. What does he expect or want from us and for us? What does it look like to, to be forever marked or tattooed by Jesus' love? Jesus changed the world with a very simple invitation. Come and follow me. And he made a lot of promises to the people who accepted that invitation. Promise of abundant life, purpose, help in times of trouble. But he also said some pretty demanding things. To follow means there's a leader, and followers do things like their leader. Jesus said you'll be able to recognize his followers by the way that they love other people. So in this series, over these weeks, we've explored how loving each other, like Jesus loves us, requires a few things. It requires surrender, 
It requires listening to his voice, requires exchanging the lead role in our own story for a critical role in God's story, and it also requires humility, which is what we're going to look at this morning. I think when most people think about what they want out of life, they think about succeeding or uh, accomplishing or achieving, becoming a big deal. Uh, We hope to climb some sort of ladder, uh, move up in the world, upward mobility. We hope our houses, our cars, our paycheck, our status in life just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And just to ease your mind a little bit, this isn't new. You're not weird to have these thoughts. You're, you're human. We want to get ahead. We want to gather as much as we can along the way. As long as there have been people around, they've been crawling, they've been scratching, they've been climbing their way up this ladder. So I want to think about this, this ladder of upward mobility. The world encourages us to climb it and to do whatever it takes to get to the top. There's seven rungs on this ladder, and each one represents something that keeps moving us up. And if it sounds familiar to some of you who have been around for a little while, it is because I've shared this before, uh, and I was asked to share it again this morning with you. So on the bottom step of this ladder is greed, wanting what we don't have. What I have isn't enough. I want more. And our culture feeds this beast. On the next rung is pride. I deserve whatever I want because I am worth it. Next is power. Not only do I want and deserve stuff, I also want to be important. I want to call the shots. I want to make the decisions, even if others might get stepped on and hurt along the way. Next step is keep. It's about protecting and keeping what's mine at all costs. I might even be willing to lie or hide the truth just so I can keep my stuff and keep my status in this world. Next is take. I'll take what I want, even if it doesn't belong to me, because I want it, I deserve it, and I have the power to take it. Then There's control. It's mine. I'm in charge. Nobody else. I'm in control of me, and I might even be in control of you. My opinion matters more. I'm right. I'm the winner. As a matter of fact, I don't trust anybody else to do what I can do by myself, which leads to that final step on the ladder, me, because it's all about me. Now, does any of that sound familiar at all to you? Can you think of examples from your own life? I know I can, or from today's headlines. It's human to want more, more power, more possessions, more privileges, to put ourselves on the top. And I don't know about you, but, but I found that giving in to the urge to climb this ladder is exhausting. It's hard, lonely work to play this game 
being the winner, or at least pretending you're one, is so demanding. And the truth is, it's a game we cannot win. It's impossible. There's a better alternative. But it doesn't involve winning. And it doesn't involve climbing a ladder. Quite the opposite. Paul, one of the authors of the New Testament, has a lot to say about this in his letter to the Philippians. And this is what he writes in chapter 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Follow Jesus. Imitate him. If you want to know how to live the best possible way, that have the same mindset, the same attitude that Jesus had. And then he goes on to tell us what this looks like. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, and at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It feels like somebody should say amen. Thank you. I believe that this is one of the most countercultural writings in the Bible. If you want to know how to live the very best possible way, this is it. So let me explain. Paul writes, have the same mindset as Jesus. Think like Jesus thought. Behave like Jesus behaved. And what is that? Well, it's the exact opposite of what the world says about living. We want power. We want possessions. We want privileges. Paul says, no, that's not the way. That's, that's the world's way. The way of Jesus has to do with with humility, to be tattooed or marked with Jesus' love looks like being humble. To be marked with Jesus' love looks like, like humility. Greatness, according to Paul, is about following Jesus, who is committed not to upward mobility, but to downward mobility, to honoring God through being humble. He didn't climb up a ladder. He took seven giant steps down to the very bottom. So here's the first step. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Jesus starts his descent at the very top. Paul writes that Jesus was God, not God's assistant, not his little helper, not his VP. Jesus equals God. How that works, I'm not sure. That's, that's a big mystery. But Paul writes that Jesus is God. But it goes on. Jesus didn't see his position with equal, as equality with God, something to be to be held on to. In other words, 
Jesus voluntarily relaxed his grip on his position, his power, and his privileges as God. So let's look again at the ladder. Paul says Jesus started at the top, and then he took a step down. He relaxed his grip. So here's a question for you. How willing are you to relax your grip on your life? How willing are you to relax your grip on your life? Many times we say, it's mine. We're clutchers. We hang on tightly to what is ours. Why? Because it's all about me. Jesus had it all, but he didn't clutch at it. He didn't hug it jealously to himself. He was willing to relax his grip. Because of his love for his father and his love for his creation. But he's just getting started. Verse 7, Paul writes, rather he made himself nothing. First he relaxed his grip. He became willing. And then Jesus let go. Now this doesn't mean he's no longer God. Somehow he... He lays aside a portion of his glory so he could become a man. And he does it voluntarily. He isn't forced. He does it freely. Jesus let go. You know, it's one thing to relax your grip, to hold something loosely. But to let go, that's a whole different deal. When our kids got into high school... Deb and I were challenged to be intentional about relaxing our grip on their lives. More freedom, more control, more responsibilities, more choices, more opportunities to make mistakes. And then when they got into college, we let go even more. Now they're both in their 30s, married adults now, and... We're grateful that we're still very active in their lives, but we've let go almost completely. Now, was that hard? Is that hard? Will that continue to be hard? Absolutely. We have to keep reminding ourselves. I have to keep reminding myself that it's not about me. It's not about us. Now, the next three steps are amazing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the in appearance as a man. We often say that in Jesus, God put skin on. God the creator became one of his creation. You think about it. God was born as a baby who was utterly dependent upon his family to care for him. I was babysitting our one and only granddaughter, Eleanor, the other day. She's learning how to crawl, which is so amazing. (laughs) And she doesn't pay a whole lot of attention to where she's going. So 
So my job, yeah, we're going to watch this about eight times in a row, okay? <laughs> my, job, my job is to make sure that as she's crawling, she doesn't bonk her head on anything. So think about this. God needed his family to make sure he didn't bonk his head on anything when he was learning how to crawl. He needed his family around to help him when he was learning how to stand up and to walk. He was learning to talk. God had to open his own doors. God needed to eat and sleep. Can you imagine the God of the universe being asked by his mom to take out the garbage? Or having to interact and deal with rude, grumpy, selfish people every day. From equality with God, Jesus relaxes his grip. He lays aside that equality and and he becomes a servant. But that's not enough. He allows himself to be changed on the inside and on the outside. He was made into a man, took on a man's appearance. And that's what becoming a servant does to us. It changes us. It affects not only what we do on the inside or what we do on the outside, but also who we are on the inside. It's not just about doing nice things. Anyone can serve, but not everybody becomes a servant. Anyone can do nice things, but not everyone becomes a kind person. Following Jesus changes us. It changes us on the outside, how we behave, and it changes us on the inside, how we think and how we feel. And the result, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Jesus stepped down so far that he was willing to die physically. He was obedient to the point of death. He stood toe-to-toe with the power of death, and he said, this time, you win. He gave up his life. He died willingly out of obedience and love for his Father and out of love for his creation. When Jesus stepped off of the edge of heaven and descended to earth, He knew that death awaited him. But his love for us and his humble obedience to the Father was so strong that he didn't hesitate. He humbly submitted himself. Humility, it seems to me, is is doing the right thing in the right way at the right time for the right reasons. And arrogance Pride, boastfulness, aren't any part of that equation. The motivation is obedience. People get confused about humility. They think it's a weak or a wimpy kind of a thing. And that's so far from the truth. This, this step is, is heroic. It's courageous. It's, it's radical. It's risky. It's countercultural. So that's six huge steps down the ladder. And that seems far enough. But then Jesus goes one step lower. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
The death that Jesus experienced, this gruesome, humiliating criminal's death on a cross is the ultimate example of love. John, who wrote one of the histories of Jesus in the Bible, said, Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Selfless, unconditional love. There's nothing greater, nothing more powerful. So we start at the top and we end at the bottom. This isn't one of those... uh, those rags-to-riches story that we, we love to read, that we love to hear about so much. The truth is, the most important story in the world, the story of Jesus, is, is a riches-to-rags story. Jesus, Son of God, humbled himself. He lost on purpose. He was born a helpless baby died out of obedience to his father, out of love for his creation. He became a humble servant who gave up his life because he is marked with God's love for us. And look how this ends. Verse 9 begins, begins with the, uh, the word therefore, which means something important is going to happen, so pay attention. So because of what Jesus did, here's how God responded. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. He gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Seven steps down, but in the end, God the Father lifts up his son. This is, this is a, a descent into greatness. Upward mobility is so intoxicating. I'm drawn to climb the ladder, and and you probably are too. There are times when I'm deceived into believing that, that I can please God, I can please other people by climbing the ladder and by chasing importance and success. But I can't. I have to learn all over again that the best possible way to live, how to live like and how to follow Jesus is by being humble. There's only one way that Jesus can live and grow in me, and that's when I become less, when I become a humble servant. I don't have a tattoo. I've thought about it. And honestly, the biggest reason why I don't is because I can't decide what to get. And if I do find that perfect tattoo, I'll probably get it. I'll warn you. And I want to show it off. I want to tell you about it, about what it means, why it's important enough for me to have it permanently inked onto my skin. But as I get older, I realize that there are more important things that I want to show you and tell you about. I want my life to be marked by God's love. I want, I want that tattooed on my skin, on my heart. I don't want to be a big deal. 
I want to be a humble follower of Jesus. And that is hard, sometimes even painful work. Here's what I believe that God says to all of us. Pay very careful attention to my son Jesus. Follow his example. If you trust me enough to to relax your grip on your possessions and, and your positions and your privileges... And if you begin to look for opportunities to to descend your ladder for the sake of Jesus, then I promise you, I will lift you up just like I lifted up my son Jesus. I will reward you for eternity. Most, maybe even all of those rewards may not come until heaven but they will come. Which way are you climbing on the ladder? Are you going up? Or are you going down? Are you busy clutching at your possessions, claiming your rights and privileges, consumed by image management and, and getting and keeping and power and control? Or are you willing to become less? Will you loosen your grip and let go so that you can experience the joy and the love and the hope and the peace that Jesus' way of life promises? Will you have the same attitude that Jesus had? Will you follow him? Will you choose to be humble? Let's pray. God, I'm glad that we've had the opportunity over these last weeks to, to look at Jesus' life, look at the example of living that he provided for all of us, to be challenged by that way of living, to be honest about how it flies in the face of much of what we see in the world today. And to also be reminded that you are with us, you are for us, your Holy Spirit is with us, reminding us, encouraging us, even empowering us to take the steps along this path, this way of living, the best possible way to live that there is. So I pray that we would be encouraged to choose to live humbly rather than climbing a ladder and clutching at our lives, that we would be willing to hold our lives loosely, to even be willing to take the risk to let go and to see what it is that you have to offer to us. Thank you for the example of Jesus. Help us to follow him. Amen. Thank you.